Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hi, my name is Jeremy Lightning, and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. I am here with our guests this week, Pastor Seth Bodie and Zeppelin. Zeppelin, that's a good one. Hey, Seth, how are you doing? Hello, doing very well. Thank you. Enjoying God's blessings. So one of the questions, uh, Jeremy, that Seth and I were talking about before you got on the Zoom call was... Uh, okay, come can, on, get it all out. Is Tell that, everybody that was listening. Was Jeremy that, on the Zoom call later than us? I don't remember. He might, might have been just a little bit later. Is that Seth, uh, his wife is married to your brother, Dan, right? Yes, my and wife is not. Is my no, your wife is not. Yeah, no. it's your sister. Sorry, Wait, so I wasn't really sister, listening. I, I don't. We're not quite that well. I wasn't listening carefully. <laughs> Seth's sister is married to Jeremy's brother Dan. So the question that we have for you, uh, Jeremy, is why did we have Dan on as a guest before Seth? Yeah, that's a good question. It's true. Um. I think it was just scheduling. Wow. Hey. Weak, weak sauce. <laughs> weak sauce. So, Seth, where do you serve now as pastor? And tell us yes. about the ministry there. Great. Yeah. I serve in Carmel, Indiana, which is just north of Indianapolis, just in the next county north. And, um, and the closest church, really, to the northern part of Indianapolis. So we draw from, we draw a lot of our believers, our members from the North half of Indianapolis where there used to be a couple other churches, but um, Indiana is a great place to be. And I love being Wells in Indiana. So what is the church like there at Bethlehem? Because it's kind of a newer church building, isn't it? It is. Our original space was built in 2000. And our latest edition was 2015. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit gives me opportunities right after, right after the building projects. And a lot of benefits come from someone else's work. So thank God for that. But, um, it's, a, it's a pretty nice building. It's, it's spacious. We've got concrete floors, a nice big narthex. And um, pretty open, sort of feels traditional without trying to be older, trying to look older than it is. And we've got great acoustics. Every choir that comes down remarks on it, and, and they did a really good job with the building project. So, so Jeremy, I heard, I learned somewhere that you once directed Seth in a play Ooh, in college. That was my my next question, Seth. Do you remember when? Uh, one of our first major working of things together. Yeah, only a, I guess a preview was what what was to come, maybe from Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, what 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 was to come? This podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so one. Uh, so yes, it was it was Twelfth Night, and uh, I was. I got to direct it and um, Seth, uh, we cast Seth in the role of the uh, clown, the, the <laughs> fool, actually. That was, that was the name, right? That was the character's name was the fool, I think. Or did it, did the clown have a name? I forget. It was the fool. It was the fool. And I don't think there was a name, but I think I was on the short list for that. And somehow was that, the fool that wasn't typecasting, was it, Seth? Yeah, I I think you can find me. So uh, playing now, the fool listen, I'm, I was the director here. I was the director. I knew these characters inside and out, and I can tell you, the fool I think was Shakespeare trying to poke fun at all of us because he always had. Yes, Seth was typecast. He was always uh, he had zingers, and and he was always making. Uh, you know, snarky comments or, or that kind of thing. It wasn't like an idiot kind of a fool. It was like a jokester who was always pranking people because he was actually kind of smarter than them. 
All right. Yeah, absolutely. It, it reminds me of the story of the king who gave his fool of in his court a scepter that was carved with just kind of like clownish characters and stuff. And he said, when you find a fool who's bigger, a bigger fool than you, give him this scepter. And then at, at the end of the king's life, the fool asks him some questions about where he's going and what he's going to do about it. And the king doesn't know. And the fool gives him the scepter because he doesn't have a plan for eternity for life to come. So. Hey, that's a good pastoral story. Yeah. I don't know where I read that. But so it was fun. It was a fun, fun experience. And I don't remember people who were in Shakespeare usually say, oh, I'll never forget those lines. And I don't think I remember a single one from Twelfth Night. <laughs> so Seth serves on the Southeast Wisconsin District Mission Board with me. And how long have you been on the mission board with Seth? I've been on the mission board. I think I was appointed in 2020, two years. So talk to our listeners about the kind of work we want to be doing down in Whitestown, Indiana, and in Cedar Lake, Indiana. What do we got planned for those areas? And I love that you're asking me this, and it's just a great honor to be on here with you because the guys in Wisconsin on the mission board are very conscientious of what we're doing in Illinois and Indiana and Kentucky. And I really appreciate that they're highlighting Indiana from time to time in our meetings. Actually, a lot of, a lot of our discussion revolve around some missions in Indiana. So on the Northwest side of Indianapolis, there has been some growth, some exciting growth. They're building like six new, um, just totally new subdivisions. And it's, all focused around distribution centers. For instance, Amazon recently moved in there. Coca-Cola's there. I don't know what else. We looked at like 35 different big distribution centers and these buildings are just huge, just humongous. And it's very diverse and it's an exciting corner of Indianapolis that's growing up. So um, while these communities are being built, we are looking into them, did some exploratory work and our good mission counselor is going to be zooming with us pretty soon to give us a, a little bit more guidance, but it seems like the possibilities are there and um, soon Lord willing, we'll start a Bible class at a Wells members home right in the, that small community in East Boone County. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. And so if our listeners have paid attention is in 2023, the Wells wants to start 100 new starts in the next 10 years from 2023 to 2033. And uh, we, we hope to start a couple of new starts in Southeast Wisconsin district. So Southeast Wisconsin district goes kind of from say Grafton, Wisconsin, which is uh, north of Milwaukee, all the way down through Illinois and then Indiana to where I was in the bottom of the Southeast Wisconsin district in Radcliffe, Kentucky near Fort Knox. So it's a big district. And up here in Wisconsin, at least Southeast Wisconsin, there just isn't a lot of room for new starts. We had so many churches around the area. And so, yeah, Indiana, Kentucky, Southern Illinois, those may be places for us to put in a brand new church. And one of the churches that we had wanted to start and brought a request in in the spring to the Board for Omissions was in Cedar Lake, uh, Indiana, which would be started through Trinity Lutheran Church in Crete. But that was deferred, meaning that there just wasn't enough there to be funded this year. And obviously the pastor that's there was disappointed, but it gives us the opportunity, Seth mentioned, our mission counselor, and then Seth is the shepherd for that mission church, and then myself as the DMB chairman, we're going to be working together to what can we do to build up the core group. And the core group is, say, 20 to 30 members that are committed to starting a new church in Cedar Lake. It's, a church, it's an area that's growing up super fast, and we need to get in there very soon before there's no land left. 
And then the same thing as Seth was talking about Whitestown, which is what, 20 minutes east of where he is in Carmel. And they're west. And and there we want to do the same thing. We have to build up a core group. But the core group right now consists of who, Seth? Well, there is one couple. There's one family, right? One family. Yeah. Yeah. They they have three boys, don't they? Yeah. And that's it. Spoken so much with them that, yeah. Yeah. But it's, and they're a great family and they're on fire. And um, we, the more I think about it, there's, there's a couple more that I can ask and um, they've got some connections. So we, we really think I'm starting to put together a little plan for how our Bible study is going to get going and how we could advertise it a little bit. And um, we'll just see where it goes. Cause I, you know, but, but, it is good to highlight Cedar Lake because they were farther ahead and um, pastor cook. I know, like you said, he was disappointed, but his birthday was on good Friday this year. So I think that possibly helped out because that's an awesome day to, to celebrate your birthday. Uh, yeah. And Whitestown, and I'm excited by what you're doing that uh, they're the, the couple there, the, the lady wants to start women's Bible study. And I think she says, say like six, six ladies, right? And she wants to do women's Bible study. And Seth had called me a few weeks ago. What do I think about that? And he and I were just learning this together. And I said, yeah, I guess start with a women's Bible study, do that for a couple of months. And then Lord willing, those ladies, if they're married, will bring other ladies and then their husbands. And then Seth can start an adult confirmation class with all of them and Lord willing, we have a big core group next year and of new converts. And that would be pretty exciting. And then to bring that to the board for omissions. And just so the listeners understand what you're talking about, Seth is, you know, a core group is those members that are going to be starting a brand new church. Like when I started in Radcliffe, Kentucky, we had, I was told we had a core group of 25. It was really like 15. But what Seth is also talking about is a launch team. So that would be some of the members at Bethlehem and Carmel, 20 minutes away, that might worship in Whitestown, help get that mission started. But then also when the mission started, they go back to their home congregation of Bethlehem and Carmel, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and um, where where we really do have a lot of healthful members, and it's just getting more and more exciting as people come back with each kind of notch away from COVID. So we're praying towards that direction as much as possible. And then, Seth, um, would you tell me uh, who is the chairman of your uh, district mission board? Yeah, funny you should ask that question because Michael Zarling happens to be the chairman of our district mission board. Oh, okay. You didn't know that, Jeremy? No, no, I think I think I did. I might have okay. heard that somewhere. Okay. <laughs> uh, is, it, is Michael playing the fool right now? Is that what you're, yeah, what you're commenting you on? Is no, I'm. I the teaching. There questions? are so many. I'm sorry. See, when uh, Seth and I. When I when I actually I shouldn't say when Seth and I get together, but when when you get to know Seth, it's like he he really is a jokester, and I've got like so many setups that I just want to throw in right now <laughs> while you guys are talking, and uh, I, I'm trying to bottle up a little bit, so that's that's where I'm at. Well, one of the things that we want to do, Lord willing, is if we can, if God blesses us with uh, the Cedar Lake, uh, Indiana, new start being approved in 2023. And then we're also want to be bringing in the request for Whitestown, we're calling it East Boone County. Uh, And if that's approved, and then as that gets growing, we want to, I've talked to Seth about uh, making kind of the outer, is is that like a loop? around indiana what is that is that 265 that goes around indiana that's 465 465 but to kind of kind of go use bethlehem as kind of the 
the center congregation and use them as launch teams to go all around into Indiana. So south of where they are to go east of them and so forth. Yeah. And the fields are ripe. I mean, this is the 16th largest city in the U S it just moved up in the last census. And um, it's, it's an exciting place to be where we are not. And there was an old plan to do this, to sort of dot around Indianapolis. But unfortunately, through a number of events, we have lost some beachheads. Like we've talked about this in the past, Michael, having a beachhead where... Why don't you explain the beachhead? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like in warfare, where um, you might be thinning out in your ranks at this particular position, but you can't lose that position. Um, because if you can hold on to that position, you could stage more attacks as soon as the reinforcements arrive. But unfortunately, um, we've lost a couple of beachheads in this whole metropolitan area. And um, it'd be nice to regain some of that territory because I really think it was kind of some fluky things that, that took down those churches. And a lot of the core members ended up at Bethlehem or at, um, which is my church, Bethlehem and Carmel, or at Light of Life south of town in Greenwood. So um, it'd be nice to kind of dot around the map here a little bit and work our way into the city because um, direct into the city, there's, you know, there's just as much of an inner city as much as big city issues and problems and a lot of darkness that need God's light as any city. Yeah, and, you know, I remember talking to uh, Pastor Horn, whom we'll have on, in a few weeks. So he's pastor in Lafayette and that's one of our mission congregations in our district and talking about the family that Seth and I are mentioning that is going to be the core group that we're going to build around Lord willing in Whitestown. And I could hear the disappointment in pastor Horn's uh, voice in the phone call that he'd be losing this fantastic family in his congregation. But I, I told Paul Horn, I said, yeah, but, you're training them to start a whole new congregation. Don't be disappointed that you're losing them at Lamb of God and Lafayette. Be excited that God's using this family that you trained up to be able to start a whole new congregation. You know, and that's the kind of mindset that we all need to have of that kingdom mindset as opposed to a fiefdom mindset of a single church. Uh, yeah, I've really had to approach Paul Horn with the, uh whip in a chair lately because he's kind of <laughs> trying to fight fight back a little bit so we got to nice. rein that guy in all right jeremy what else you got for seth uh, uh sorry i just no nothing much okay <laughs> you're filtering a lot aren't you jeremy <laughs> yeah yep uh, uh, so, Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to feel out, you know, where this conversation's going. And, uh, yeah, it might just be best to, to bite my tongue. <laughs> okay. We're promoting Wells Missions. And yes. You know. But it's really good. I mean, we've, we've all got to be thinking this way. because From the ground up, we've got 10 years, right, to do 100 missions and 75 enhancements. And that means we've got to be talking to young men about entering the ministry. And I, I'm really trying to claim some beachheads there too um you know young men who and, and young women who should be entering the teaching and preaching yeah Un unbeknownst to us we don't know exactly where everyone belongs but we can encourage and we can hope and pray and and as we're talking about starting these new mission congregations we're talking about witnessing and what are we witnessing we're witnessing a victory christ's victory from the tomb and that can lead us, Jeremy, into the gospel lesson as we see Jesus in the gospel lesson for this coming Sunday as uh, it's Easter evening and then a week later. So if you want to read from John 20 for us. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together behind locked doors because of their fear of the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. But Thomas, one of the twelve, the one called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. After eight days, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue to doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, did many other miraculous signs that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm going to so, just right off the bat, um, I, I, got a, I got a couple of beefs here. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> With the text? Yeah, yeah. No, the, actually the translation. And now that Professor Brug is not on the podcast anymore, <laughs> now I can really let it fly. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's verse 27. Um, I contend that what Jesus said there was, and, and sorry, I'm going to go a little Greek nerd on you here. Apistos. It was, it was faithless. And he, he, what he really says to Thomas is, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And I'm not going like, to go so far as to say Thomas was like, if he would have died, he would have gone to hell. He was an unbeliever. But I will say um, that in John, uh, no, Mark's gospel, in Mark's gospel, it says uh, that Jesus chastised his disciples for their unbelief. And, and that is translated as unbelief in Mark's gospel. So uh, that is, that's, sorry, that's my, my soapbox for now. And now I'll, now I'll stand down. So what are, you, what are you saying there, Jeremy, then, about with Mark's gospel and John's gospel, about the difference between not believing unbelief and continuing to doubt? What are the nuances there of what you're Do talking not, about? And I guess that is... Maybe that has changed a little bit. Continue to doubt, um, but I, I always, I always kind of make a big deal about his. Let's not call him doubting Thomas. That there wasn't a shred of doubt in what he did. He said, he said, I will not believe it unless I, unless I see it. He, he was, he was very much disbelieving the words that were told to him. Yeah, Seth, you're really good at Greek. You got anything you want to add to that point? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's usually how I start these conversations. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for getting that out of the way. No, I, I appreciate that comment, but um but I hadn't really caught on to that. So um it's an interesting comment. I always think, um, in fact, at the top of my sermons, I often have the have the words, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So I mean Sometimes we talk about the sort of radio button faith, you have it or you don't, versus growth in faith, which um, once you have it, you can increase in faith. So it is an interesting question about what, um, what kind of faith is here. But I really think, um, I really think that it, it, for Thomas, it does come down to empirical or sensory faith, that nothing to Thomas, nothing is in the intellect that isn't previously in the senses. So, I mean, he's, he's got to touch it and, um, and like yeah, you, it does set you up for, for, um, for some difficulties later, if this is where you need to be in order to trust in Jesus. So talking about the, the senses, uh, one of the devotions that I had, uh, the children's devotion I had last Sunday for Easter is talking about the living cross. So it's a brand new tradition at our Caledonia campus 
uh, it's a very old tradition at Epiphany before I ever got here as the pastor. And what they do is we have a stained glass window at the Racine campus of Jesus as the good shepherd, but during Good Friday and Easter Sunday, it's covered up. Uh, a plywood panel that's covered with fabric and then a cross, just a barren cross for uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, but then it becomes a living cross with white carnations and uh, Easter lilies. And so we, we spent the extra $550 or so to have a second one made for the Caledonia campus. So it's the first time they've seen this. But in the children's devotion, I talked about smelling it, uh, just talking about the smell of victory. And, and I talked about how God knows that we are sensory people, people that we need to on Ash Wednesday, not just hear that our sins are forgiven and we're ashes, but for us in our church, we place our fingers into the ash bowl and put them on a sackcloth banner that we can uh, smell the, the victory of Christ on, on Easter Sunday, uh, that we can taste that forgiveness in our tongues in the Lord's Supper, that we can feel it on the tops of our heads in baptism, that sensory stuff that you guys are talking about that Thomas wants. And whenever I hear these words in the gospel lesson of Thomas of, I need to be able to touch it to believe. I think of Caravaggio's painting. And for our listeners, I would encourage you to Google Caravaggio. It is of Thomas sticking his finger into Jesus wound in the side and actually pulling it out. Uh, the painting that we have at our Racine campus has Thomas reaching up and his fingers a couple inches from the wound is not all the way in and actually in the wound, pulling it out, but that sensory stuff. So for you guys to answer either one, why is that? I just kind of touched on it. Why is that sensory stuff uh, that sensory faith that Thomas is talking about? Why is that so important for us as Christians today? Yeah, either one of you guys. Because we're still, um, we still have five senses. (laughs) Okay, yeah. You know, um, I guess, I guess it's important then to go to the end of the text also, um, because, and this is not changing the subject, Mm -hmm. because of where Jesus' blessing rests. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Because there's a little different thing. There's a little bit of a difference between what Thomas is doing and what you and I are doing with the sacraments, um, which is which is foolishness to the world to think that a piece of bread or a drop of alcoholic fruit of the vine liquid and um, and maybe some water what that that could possibly convey God's blessings. And um, the difference is that what's what thomas touched was evidence and what we touch isn't necessarily evidence what we taste isn't necessarily evidence um so we we kind of trust thomas and and when i preached on this in 2020 i i thought of it as sort of the science experiment that you and i don't get to do because everyone was saying trust the science to a certain degree we have to trust someone's sensory experience here but um, you and I don't get the same sensory experience that Thomas does. And in that way, Jesus gives us fuller blessing because we have not seen and yet have believed through word and sacrament. Seth, if you could build off of that, I'm, I'm going to try to build off of that. If you, is it kind of like, I always use the analogy of, um, I have personally never set foot on the country of France. Um, and, and sooner or later, I have to just trust that all these people throughout the world who say that there is this country called France, that they, they have had that sensory experience, even if I have not. And uh, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. Trust in authority. And for us, what is authoritative um, is a message that comes from someone else and faith 
simply trusts this. It's through the foolishness of what was preached that the message saves those who believe. So um, what a foolish thing to think that bread and wine can be so meaningful to us. Well, it's, it's the word and it's that special, it's that special sacrament that fills us up. Um, but you, you'd, you'd have to trust it in order to receive it. So it's like uh, the, the people that Thomas was talking to, what really doing was not trusting that their senses were working properly. Maybe if there's a, a way you he, can say he was, that. He was distrusting that the women and that oh, yeah. his fellow apostles, that, they, that when they told him, he was saying, no, your senses are not working properly. I need my senses to also experience this. Yeah, he understood the form of the word, but the content of it, he denied. And that's interesting. That struck me this Easter, too. When, when the women came back from the tomb and they told the disciples, it's, it says they didn't believe the women. And then and I think this is Luke's account. Um, then Peter ran to the tomb. And I think Luke only mentioned Peter. But um, that struck me this time because it's like they're so doubtful. They're so doubtful of Jesus' resurrection until he's right in front of them. And even then, even then he's performing more signs and miraculous proofs and just bodily proofs that he's there. So I think in that way, it's realistic, not romanticized. This is, this truly happened. Part, part of the reason we know is because of how silly these apostles were sometimes. Well, and talking about the realism there, you know, you think about, cause I've preached on this before too, is I think, Thomas gets a bad rap here because we all know him as doubting Thomas, but we don't, we don't refer to Peter as like denying Peter or to James and John as thundering James and thundering John. And yet Thomas gets labeled with uh, this title of doubting Thomas. And yet, so what I've brought up in this text too, is remember when Jesus wants to go to, visit Lazarus after he's died. And then all the other disciples, they're afraid to go because Bethany is just outside of Jerusalem, going right into the layer of the enemies, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And they say, we don't want to go because Jesus, you'll die. And then we'll die with you. But Thomas is the one that says, no, we need to go and we're, I'm ready to die with you. But we don't call Thomas bold Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas. And so we have to hold that up because I think a lot of times we are Thomas, that we doubt in our faith. We're not always believing because there are things that we just, the, the sin in us, the sin in our world causes us also to doubt and not believe Jesus' words. Uh, I like that. I like uh, skeptical Thomas. Okay. So, Jeremy, Jesus, when he shows up and he talks to his disciples, he gave the disciples and the whole Christian church a tremendous right and responsibility. What is that in this gospel lesson? Well, thank you uh, for tossing that question my way. Um, because that was another comment I wanted to make after reading through it. Um, and the, the translation is not bad. It's verse 23. Uh, and, and the first part is fantastic. If you, whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. So that's, that's the right and responsibility. And we could talk for a long time about uh, uh, probably a lot of people Seth runs into, but also people here. I know in Kansas, we had, quite a few that when they come from an evangelical background, they often say like, well, how dare you think that you as sinful human have the right to forgive people's sins? Only God can forgive sins. And uh, a lot of well-intentioned, uh, you know, Protestant Christians think that way. Um, but the, you got to point them to this verse. It, Jesus says we get to forgive sins. But the comment I wanted to make was actually on the second half of the verse. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's not a bad translation, but it, 
almost isn't strong enough because uh, Jesus is saying whenever you, what Jesus is really saying is when you reattach people's sins to them, they are reattached. And uh, that, that is uh, the binding key that uh, I'm thankful you guys didn't use on me for being late today. <laughs> well, when I, when I teach that in my catechism class, I talk about Bob Marley. Okay, remember from Scrooge and Bob Marley that he's got all J- these. Jacob, I think you mean <laughs> Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley, thank you. Jacob Marley, he's got all these. He's got all of these. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, this, this is why I listen to this podcast. Totally different guy. Well. That's right. Um, no woman, no cry. <laughs> Jacob Marley has all of these chains on him. And what are those chains? It's, you know, the kids don't get it. It's his, uh, his sins. They have been bound to him. That's what Jesus is saying. When you don't forgive them, your sins are remain with you. They are bound to you. And Jacob Marley is carrying those sins all around with him for all, throughout eternity. And Jesus is giving you and I, uh, for our listeners, that public use of the keys that they're able to forgive people's sins if they are repentant. Or uh, like you said, Jeremy, not just not forgive them, but you bind those sins to them because they're not repentant. And then for Seth and Jeremy and myself as pastors, ours is a little bit different. We have the public use of the keys for both Marley's, Bob and Jacob. Uh, So Seth, you want to talk about that ministry of the keys at all? And how do you teach that to your kids? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, And I would just say this is kind of a good year i think year c is a good year to to preach about the keys because we've got revelation one where in in the beginning of john's revelation jesus christ appears and he appears more as a priest than you might have imagined with priestly robes and um i i keep thinking about his blazing eyes and how he he's the alpha and the omega because the keys Man, um, I think when Jesus gives his followers, his people, the keys, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, not to mention, um, and really equips each of us with forgiveness and also the binding key. But in the end of that, he says he, he holds the key to death and Hades. And I think it's really important for us to remember that we're not just kind of um, deciding based on our mood or our feelings, whether someone's sins are retained on a person or, or sent away um, from them forgiving. We, we base that on Jesus judgment and his alone. And um, the, the biggest hypocrite could lie to me and tell me he's sorry about something, but he's not fooling the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Um, And so So, so with that, uh, hey, Jeremy, what do you think that means with, uh, if people would say that seems so unloving that you're not forgiving sins? If you're not forgiving sins, then, you know, they, they say they're sorry, but you're not, they're not really all that sorry. And it's not like they're crying, uh, that they're not that, showing I, that is kind of a, a question that I think, you know, if, if uh, Seth could help us tease out a little bit, uh, it, what he was saying about the hypocrite um, is uh, yeah. What, what about when the hypocrite says, I'm sorry and fools the pastor or the members of the church and uh, they pronounce forgiveness on him and then, uh, but but the Alpha and the Omega can see be, beyond all that, um, then is Jesus really giving us the keys if, if we're just kind of play acting and we don't know what we're doing? And I think part of that is you have to remember that Christ has reconciled the world to God, as, that uh, all, all, all the Lamb of God has carried away the sins of the world. Uh, and so really that hypocrite did have his sins forgiven, even if he uh, was fooling us and uh, can't fool Jesus. So we're not lying to him when we say 
your sins are forgiven. Uh, the problem is you just don't believe it. And that's something that he'll have to reckon with, uh, with Jesus on the last day. Yeah. And with that, uh, the imagery that John gives in revelation chapter one is he sees Jesus and then he, he describes him this way. Uh, I turned and I saw seven gold lampstands and among the lampstands was one like a son of man. He was clothed with a robe that reached to his feet and around his chest, he wore a gold sash. His head and his hair were white like wool uh, or like snow. His eyes were like blazing flames. His feet were like polished bronze being refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. He held seven stars in his right hand. A sharp two-edged sword was coming out of his mouth. His face was shining as the sun in all its brightness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. So we've kind of talked about the keys there, Jeremy. What is, what is he talking then about the sharp two-edged sword that's coming out of Jesus' mouth? His, his words. I mean, it's coming out of his mouth, so it's his, it's his word, um, and uh, it's two-edged. There's uh, more than one use for it, um, and so you can you can think of law and gospel. Um, uh, I I also think uh, this makes me think of when the um, Simeon in the temple told Mary that a sword will pierce your own heart, that I think a lot of the time there were times when Jesus's words were pretty sharp to her, uh, even though he was her son, that he still had to speak words to her from God that uh, were, were not the most gentle. Um, but then again, you also have the use of a sword to fight off our enemies and, and the sword of the spirit, especially in Ephesians, um, that uh, not only does God use his words to destroy evil and to uh, cut down sin and to level the sinner, but he also uses his words to fight for uh, his children and to defend his people. Um, like, a, like at the end of the book of Revelation, we'll see with the warrior riding on the horse. Yeah, and then uh, fighting for the sinner, and that's the epistle lesson. That was one of the things that Seth had talked about uh, before he started recording of the way these three scripture readings fit together for this Sunday. It may not seem like they fit very well together, but the this, uh, the first lesson from Acts 5. So during the Easter season, we don't... Uh, read Old Testament reading for the first lesson. Instead, we read a lesson from Acts. And this one's from Acts 5. I won't read it. It's really long. But it's where Peter and the apostles are set free from prison by an angel. And then, uh, after they're told by the relig religious leaders, did we not give you strict orders not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood down to us. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Uh, and, and there that the risen Jesus is in control. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that ties these three scripture readings together. It is the risen Jesus that appears to the disciples on Easter evening. It is the risen Jesus that appears to Thomas and the other 10 disciples a week after Easter evening, it is the risen Jesus that sends the angel to go, uh, to go let Peter and the apostles out of prison. And they're bold enough on uh, a few years, well, not probably in a few years, but a, a little bit of time after the resurrection. And then you see Jesus on the last day. Uh, he is always in control. And one of the things that I've preached on when it's come to the apostles is notice Peter. You know, I, I especially said this on Pentecost, but he could use it in this text too if I was preaching on it. Is notice Peter 
denies Jesus in front of his enemies on Thursday evening, Friday morning. He hides from Jesus' enemies. And then uh, you know, there he is locked behind doors Easter evening and a week later. And now notice how bold he is just a short time later. What's happened? Well, what's happened is he's seen the risen Christ and he has experienced the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. I don't know, Jeremy, you want to talk about any of that boldness of Peter and the apostles? We've lost, uh, we, we lost Seth. He just texted that his whole building, his church has a power failure. This set off the fire alarm. That's how bad it is there. That's why you haven't heard from Seth in a while. Okay. I was wondering, yeah. Um, he was, he was kind of in the middle of making an interesting point. I was disappointed to lose him, but uh, I guess, uh, this is why technology is evil, in my opinion. That's right. Uh, um, do you, you want to give the reason why Peter and the apostles could be so bold when they were so timid before? Are you just talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, and, and I think seeing the risen Christ, those two things. And, you know, for them and then apply it to us. Why can we be so bold to be like Peter? And to say to governing authorities, I'm going to obey God rather than men. I, I think uh, a lot of it boils down to life experience that, that you, you got to go through getting knocked down uh, in order to feel confident standing, uh, if that's an okay way to put it, um, that you had Peter got, you know, he, he was pretty... He was, he was all, he was, he was pretty bold before he denied Jesus too. And, uh, I, but it was a different kind of boldness. And I, I think, um, that's what we see here is, uh, he saw how far he could fall and, uh, that's what God does for us. He, he graciously lets us, uh, feel our own weakness and, and fall ourselves just, just to see how much we need him. And then when we have that experience, we can stand on that and uh, have a lot more confidence because we, we know we know where our weak points are. Um, and uh, it, it, we, we've, we mentioned my uh, brother on this pot on this episode. And so now I'm going to mention my dad uh, because he was the one that I think when we had him on was talking about how that what makes the, a, a true theologian or a good believer in God's word is um, meditating. In other words. Oh, no, I may have lost you, Jeremy. Why this is uh, this. Uh, all of this technology is not really good when all of your guests are separate and then you can't get them back on. Uh, so I'm just going to carry everything by myself until everyone gets back on. Uh, one of the things that you see then too in this gospel lesson, we go back to it, is Jesus says at the end of the four gospels uh, that each of them has a kind of a commission uh, of its own of sharing the good news. And that commission in John's gospel is peace be with you. Uh, that Jesus said, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on his disciples and he gave them his amazing authority. And as you've been talking about that, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I think we talk a lot about Jesus' great commission of going out and making disciples of all nations or baptizing and making believers of all people or in acts of go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are all great commissions, but we forget this commission. This commission is just as much ours as anybody else's is to go out and forgive people their sins. And then that the hard part is withhold forgiveness. If they are not really repentant. And then that, that, Oh, right and back. responsibility. All right, you guys are back. Who's back here? 
Um, was Jeremy not there? <laughs> oh, I lost Jeremy now too. Okay, well, I'm here. All right, go ahead, Seth. Finish up with us. Whatever you want to talk about yet. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, just good hey. stuff about the binding key. I, I really think that um, that that is difficult. It's as difficult as a fireman trying to get um, get someone out of their room. Someone who's very accustomed with their room. They love being in their room. But if the house is on fire, then it's the binding key that says, hey, this isn't safe for you. And I'm just being honest. You know, it, your, your eternal salvation is at stake. And um, it wouldn't be honest for me to say you are forgiven because, um, because you continue in that sin and it, it retains, it's retained to you and it's, it sticks on you. So um, I, you've probably already unhashed or rehashed a lot of that binding key stuff, but that's another analogy that I would use with my confirmation students. Okay. No, we didn't talk a whole lot about the binding key, uh, but I, I, I was asking about this while you guys are both lost is what do you say to someone when it seems unloving that you're not, yeah. you're not forgiving their sins, that you're withholding that forgiveness. You know, what do they, what do you say when they charge you with being unloving? Right. Well, um, I've recently picked up on a pretty good phrase or good saying that we can't let the world determine what is loving for us. We let the God of all truth who knows how to love us perfectly define love for us. And then, um, and then you realize that the truth, which is non-negotiable, the truth is non-negotiable, um, but it, it goes hand in hand with love. So how can I do both? I'll try to be as loving as I can with you, but part of being loving is being honest. Yeah, so, I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a great point. Being honest. That's not something that we have a lot of in our culture right now. Yeah, and Romans says that love must be sincere. Sincere. Hate hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So um, in those hard situations, um, I may I may hate to say something, and sadly, there are times when I don't, and I need to repent for that, too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is hard to call people to repentance. No one wants to do that, especially in our culture, when you are, it, it, in the past, people would still call you unloving, but now they'll call you out as unloving on social media and you're going to be doxxed, meaning they're going to tell you who your name, what your name is, your, your address and so forth. I've been called out uh, in the past. I had this conversation yesterday morning with the son of one of our members that member just before we started recording today was called home to heaven. And then I wow. told our member or I, I told the member's son about, the sermon that I preached for a funeral, like for his dad's funeral, said, I'm not going to talk about your dad a lot. I'm going to talk about Jesus in the life of your father. And he, thankfully he's a strong Christian. He's fine with that. But I said, I've been hammered on social media on Facebook before with the whole family thinking I talk too much about Jesus and not enough about their sister. So it was the brothers and sisters that were hammering me. And uh, but yeah. that's the culture right now is if you're not affirming everybody's sinful lifestyle, then you're not, uh, you're not loving, but this right. is saying the opposite. Yeah. And it's the words of my savior, the words of my Jesus who died for me. Um, and what do we mean after all, if we say I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's confessing Easter. It's confessing that we were forgiven for something. And um, it's also not just pointing the finger. It's recognizing our own sins. I think every time, every time that I may need to refuse forgiveness to someone, it's, it's a driver back into my own conscience and my own iniquities and what I've done wrong. I haven't measured up and crossed the line and missed the mark and all those good sin words, because uh, obviously I'm not perfect. And that's kind of the point that, I mean, that is the point. So let's change this a little bit. Hey, Jeremy, this would be a question maybe confirmation kids would ask. If Jesus was resurrected, 
why were his wounds still visible? God doesn't, uh, it, well, Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians 15 is uh, we don't know a whole lot about how resurrected bodies work. So, uh, you know, I've, I've had the question posed to me and I thought it was a good one. It was interesting to think about. There's no good answer to it, but uh, a woman is pregnant and uh, judgment day arrives during her pregnancy is she going to be pregnant for all eternity? Uh, and I think there you got to go back to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. When the dead are raised, with what kind of body will they come? Uh, and he, he says how foolish. He's saying that to some people who were asking those kind of questions, uh, not with a believing interest or curiosity, but with a little more skeptical edge to it. Uh, so he says how foolish. And then... Um, he says, uh, our, our human, our earthly bodies are like a seed. And it's not like it's going to be totally uh, unrelated to your earthly body or unrecognizable. It'll be recognizable, but uh, we can't really say a whole lot about what they're going to be like when they're resurrected. And for Jesus, his body was resurrected with the wounds still there. And that's very much by design. And uh God sending us the message of a lamb that looks like he was slain uh, so that we can have that reminder of this is the same Jesus who, as Seth said, died for died for me and took away my sins doing so. All right. So, Seth, I got one last question for you. Jeremy, you can jump in on this. So last weekend, it was Monday, actually, because we had off of school at our grade school and high school the day after Easter. And so my daughter, Belle, had a bunch of her high school friends come over. And I got called up stairs and Belle said, Dad, you got to come up here. They have a question for you. So I'm going to pose the question to you, Seth, and then also to you, Jeremy. How would you answer this, knowing these are high school, high school students? They asked, so if artificial intelligence... So a computer or a robot gains consciousness. Can that person go to heaven? So that was the first question. And then they said, and then can that artificial intelligence that has consciousness also become a pastor to forgive sins? So go ahead, Seth. How would you answer those high school students with that question? Yeah, Seth, you go first. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Well... Um, I do have the benefit of serving as dorm supervisor in two of our area Lutheran high schools in Southern California and South Dakota. And I don't, I don't know that that one came up, but um, I think it might be similar to the whole pets thing. Like um, it does have an added twist of carrying out ministry, not just receiving the, the good gifts of Jesus Christ and the benefits of forgiveness. Um, but you know, when I, when I'm asked about a dog, we like, is my dog going to heaven? Is my dog in heaven now? Or my kitty cat or whatever the pet may be. I think there's a good old, good old aphorism that says what Jesus did not assume he did not redeem. So, um, did Jesus redeem human beings? Well, he took on human flesh and blood. So, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good answer. He, he had to be a human being in order to redeem human beings. I don't know. I don't know about robots or aliens or where the distinction lies, but it seems to me like that's some pretty, that's some pretty strong AI there. If it, that's if right. it can divide law and gospel, that, that AI has the doctor's <laughs> hat for sure. There you go. So, Jeremy, these are your students. These are Shoreland students. So how would you answer them if they came to you in your German or religion class and asked you that question? Uh, I, one thought I had was throwing it back at them. Um, like with the ministry thing. How, yeah, how do they? Um, so, so are you saying that, I, I would have more questions for them. Are you saying that this, piece of uh, machinery that has self-consciousness um, 
it, are you saying that it, 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 like Seth said, divide law and gospel on its own? Or is it just like kind of like a recording that you you hit press play and it can it can re- record or uh, play back to you the sound of uh, you know John three sixteen or something like that and um, I suppose they would say it's probably the the, the it, it's dividing law and gospel on its own but uh, yeah one one tactic is always to throw the question back and and ask for more information. Um, Another thing I would say is, um, yeah, when it comes to like you brought up, Seth brought up aliens and you have to say man is the crown of God's creation. So if there is intelligent life on other planets, um, it can't be more intelligent. It, it must actually be less intelligent than humans. And uh, same thing would apply with this uh, AI business. Um, it's it's part of the lesser creation. Um, and so they, that's the part that Paul says in Romans is still waiting for its own redemption uh, when the sons of God are revealed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, whether it's your pet or your artificial intelligence machine or an alien, um, they are they are going to have to wait for the redemption of all things in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, And uh, that's where I would leave it. Okay. Hey, is there anything else you want to bring up before I tell you you guys? All right. So what I said was, uh, I said, have you guys ever seen the movie Terminator? This is exactly why you don't give artificial intelligence, any kind of intelligence. You don't give robots the power to, to have consciousness because then that's when they rule us and destroy us. So that was my first one. And then I said, do these Terminator. What's that? You, you, you took the Terminator route. I took the Terminator route, but then I said, does this artificial intelligence with a conscience, does it have a soul? If it doesn't have a soul, because then they started saying, well, what about if you put your own intelligence into the body of a robot so they were just trying to keep the whole argument going and i said those are things we should not be messing around with but i went back to a soul going with like what seth was saying is the reason why we may not see our particular pet in heaven is because that uh, pet does not have a soul that christ redeemed on the cross as a lamb of god he redeemed us who were created in his image, meaning he created us not to look like God, but to be like God, having an eternal soul. And by the way, I would, yes, I would say um, I still hold out hope for my little dog daughter because I have have the greatest dog to be in heaven. Martin Luther told his dog that he'd have a little golden tail in heaven. And um, there's still Isaiah 11 where the wolf and the lamb lie down together and the infant plays near the cobra. So um, hopefully that's a little more than a picture of peace, but you know, we just can't know for sure. So, I mean, um, if I had a, if I had a pet snake or a pet wolf, you know, right. that would be awesome. <laughs> I'd love to have those in heaven. Right. Yeah. You get Anything Irish else? Wolfhound. Yeah. So, but for our listeners, those are the kind of questions that Seth and Jeremy and your pastors get from your teens, just so you know. And so we have to think quickly on our, on our feet. Wow. Yeah. That's like freeze. Yeah. So um, if I, if I might just wrap up the binding key thing, I know I, I just think it would be good to point out one more thing about how, how the text texts play together. And that is Acts chapter five talks about not only Jesus giving forgiveness at the end, they talk about three gifts. Jesus gives forgiveness. They end by talking about the Holy spirit. But um, before the forgiveness, they say Jesus even gives repentance. So I think that's um, our hope and prayer with those who, who refuse to repent is that Jesus gives forgiveness because even that is a gift of God. And um, that just points out how salvation really is grace alone and the message that we want to get out to everyone. But um, I just thought that was a really cool thing because each text starts with a break-in. 
And each text involves some kind of talk about a key or keys. And I think that really binds the whole group of texts together in a good way. Oh, nice way of using the word binding there, Seth. I like it. Boom. Michael, uh, what are you, uh, which of these are you preaching on this weekend? I'm not preaching in any of these this weekend because I'm preaching on the Acts 9 text for next week. And then I'll be preaching on that Seth, for what two about weeks you? in a row. I'm doing Revelation 1. Nice. So it's exciting. Yeah. So Jeremy preached for me on Easter Sunday. So he's off until Trinity Sunday. He doesn't have to preach for a while. Did I say I was preaching on Trinity? Something like that. <laughs> June 12th? Oh, no, you're not. Trin- no, no, that's that's someone else. I don't know when I've got you. Whenever I'm gone in June, you're right. It's the end of June, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, you guys have anything else that you want to close with? You, as long as we brought up high schoolers and uh, their latest uh, trends, I just wanted to say, Seth, if you want to talk about Jesus' eyes, you can say they're fire. Jesus' eyes are fire? Like emoji fire? <laughs> like, that, yeah, that's just what, if you if you like something, apparently you're supposed to say that's fire. Oh, this is youth slang. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. I'm. Yeah, we're so out of touch now, but it's, we got to rely on you guys in the high schools to beat us. Youth, youth slang. That's that's the word I was looking for. Youth slang. The youth. <laughs> and yet, I was talking to a couple of people today about bingo. You know that youth slang. It can separate all of us, and yet, a uniting thing. I don't know if you ever thought about this, Seth and Jeremy. A uniting thing is bingo, because kids love bingo, college students love bingo, and old people love bingo. So there you go. Bingo is one of the uniters. Just, that's a freebie out there. All right. So Appreciate I want to, yeah, there you go. So I want to thank our listeners for sticking with us through the technical difficulties when we lost Seth and then we lost yeah, Jeremy. You may have lost me. Uh, but hey, you know, you, we got you back, Seth, even through a fire alarm that shut everything off at Bethlehem and Carmel. That's pretty amazing. Uh, so this is Pastor Zarling with Pastor Seth Bodie. And pastor, beginning to see the lightning, stay thirsty, my friends, and then drink deeply from the water of life. 